We've been talking about the motivational gifts. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're in a journey this summer as, a, as just a church here as Kingsway. Um, but we believe too that, that for the whole church, that wherever you find yourself uh, as a believer in Jesus, you're part of his body. That you're a part, that when we talk about this, it said to rightly discern the body. Uh, that's what Paul was talking about. Understand what that is. It's not so much about rightly understanding the, the, the bread. It's about understanding this group of people. Who are they? What are they uh, supposed to do? Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and that church is going to change the world. And sometimes I wonder, do we see that in North America, that the church is actually changing our world? Or are we growing smaller and weaker uh, in, the, in the eyes of um, those around us? Or is it actually impacting? And uh, I believe there's lots of impacting going on through this, through this place. But his design was that the whole body would really impact the world around them, make a difference, be a light that shines. And uh, I believe that too. And a lot of times it's because we don't understand certain things that we don't live them. Uh, I told you guys this last week. The way we think affects the way we live. Last week I was talking about how I thought that I never had chicken pox. Uh, and so then when my, you know, I'd always avoid everybody who had chicken pox because I know when you get older, it's way worse, right? Then you get chicken pox where you don't want them. So then I was like um, realizing that, uh, you know, I'm staying away from every kid that's chicken pox. Well, then my daughter on her first birthday has chicken pox and we're having a birthday party here and I'm like, I'm not going. You know, Beth's like, you're going. I'm like, no, I'm not going. You know, I've never had chicken pox and I don't want them. And uh, my parents came and uh, they were like, why is Mark like off in the corner? And Beth's like, oh, because he's afraid of chicken pox. He's a big whatever. And my mom's like, why? She's like, well, because he's never had them. And she says, no, no, he had them. He had them when he was one. And, and, and all this time, like 30-something years, I've gone through my life thinking I've never had chicken pox. And how I lived a certain way because of the way I thought. Same thing with the church. The way we think affects the way we live, whether we realize it or not. So this morning and for this summer, we've been going through like uh, just, a, just a, a, an understanding thing. Just finding out how do we think about this thing called church? What is it? Why do we, why do, we do church? What is church? Do we, is it this service this morning? Is it this building? And we've learned that it's not. We learned that the, that the church is the body of Christ on the earth today now. That's what the church is. You know, when Jesus' body was walking around uh, 2,000 years ago and he touched people and they'd be healed, that was pretty amazing. But that's what he said, I want the church to be that today that it's his body, that when he went out and there was miracles happening, when he went out and he was meet, there was needs being met, when there was lives being changed, when there was people coming out of bondage into freedom, he said, that's what I want my body to look like. And that's what our, our dream is for us as a church. And we started talking about how every person is a part of the body. Everyone. Every single person. It's not just certain people. Everyone. Take a look, quick look around you. That person next to you, yeah, take a look. I know, it's okay. I, I'm watching, yeah. That person next to you, they're a minister. Did you know that? We have this, this thing about ministers in Canada. It's like you don't hang out with the minister. You know, the ministers, they're the guys at the front. They're more holy. They can read minds, you know. Don't look at them in the eye because they'll see all your sins. You know, it's like they, they've got, they, they, them and God are like this. And yet, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that every one of you is a minister. That person right beside you is a minister. Ministers do ministry. And the only way that that happens is understanding that each person is a minister and each person is part of the body. And that the body has to be, every person's got to be connected to the head or they're dead. That's individually. That's you having a relationship with God that's growing, not just in a church building, everywhere. That everybody's connected to one another. That you go somewhere where there's other Christians. 
Other followers of Jesus, well, I kind of like just to visit, you know, a whole bunch of different churches sometimes. You know, that's, I, I don't really have anywhere where I call home. Well, you're missing out on something, and so is that place, because you, they need you to be connected somewhere, to be involved and functioning as the part of the body you are. We talked about how, you know, if your leg falls asleep, it doesn't really function very well. It's there, but it sure isn't benefiting you. It's actually, you know, hindering you. And that's where we talked about with a, with a church, with every person, finding out why, why did God create you the way he did? How come you're not all like me? How come you're not like the person next to you? You're very unique. It's for a reason. It's because of all of those things connected together make one incredible, incredible body. We started talking about gifts. We talked about some of the different, there's all different types. There's speaking gifts and serving gifts. So some of you are like, oh, you know, if you're going to serve the Lord, you're either a pastor or a missionary. No, there's all kinds of different things. We looked at that. There's um, equipping gifts, which is what I'm doing this morning, just sharing with you, helping you to figure stuff out and, and to be able to do ministry. That's, that's one. Not everybody's in that. We talked about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that a little bit further down the road where it's, it's all about the, the stuff that, you know, the, the charismatics, you know, we think, oh no, that stuff's like the, the, the book of Acts. Don't worry, it's, it's, not, it's not spooky or scary. We're talking about that too. Uh, all that. Then we talked about the motivational gifts. These are, these are the ones that every single person has. You can look and say, you know, turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm gifted. Tell them. See, you're not your special. I'm gifted. <laughs> I don't know how the communication just changes on the way through. Like something in the air filters it and turns it into a whole different, different language. I don't know if it's marriage counseling now. It's terrible. Um, but, but we learned, yeah, you're gifted. Yeah. We learned that every person has a, has a gift, and, and um, there's a website called www.gifttest.org. If you want to get ahead of the game and say, hey, I'd really like to kind of find out which one I, I'm more like, go check that out. It's pretty cool. But turn to Romans chapter 12 with me. Oh, well, I, yeah, there it is. I bring my Bible back. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says this, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, because God has dealt to each one. How many? Each one. A, a, a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He's talking about your individuals, but you're connected to something bigger. So it says then, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So you got gifts, but it says, let us use them. It doesn't mean just because you have it that that's all that's, that's needed. It's saying, this is my gift, and I'm going to use it. And then he goes through the list of them. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If it's ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches, let him do it in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So it's talking about all of these different gifts. And I want to give you a couple quick things on these ones. Today we're kind of in like a teaching mode again. It's, it's uh, just a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit out of my element maybe. But um, we're going to talk about a couple different things. My mom is a teacher. Uh, right straight through. When you look at these motivational gifts, that's definitely hers. But um, she, would, she shared some things in Bible school a long time ago. And I took some notes. Good thing. Because now, uh, now I remember them. But um, these gifts... I'll tell you, they're hardwired into you. 
You already have them from the day you're born. That little baby Shiloh that was just went out has a, one of these gifts or more of them already inside. They're there. They, um, you don't get to choose them. I heard some people this week, you took the gift test and you're like, darn, I didn't want to be that one. I wanted to be this other one. Like Perceiver sounded so cool last week. I wish I was that. And they weren't. But you're born with them. They affect the way you see your world. You ever wonder why people just can't see something that you can see? You're just like, I just cannot explain to them, you know, that this is not a big deal. Why is everything such a major deal to them? It's the way they see the world. It's their perspective. We talked about seven blind men who try and describe an elephant. Well, they're all holding on to different parts, so they all describe an elephant different. One thinks it's a sail. One thinks it's a, you know, like a big fire hose. One thinks it's a boat. One thinks it's a tree trunk because holding on to the leg. You know, they, they describe it based on what they, how they see it. But we looked at that last week as well, that every one of you is going to look at ministry and see it differently, and it's for a reason that you see it differently. Um, last week, we looked at the perceivers. Anybody here score really high on perceivers last week? Just show of hands real quick. Just hold them up. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would have guessed that. Yeah, we value, we value perceivers. Now I'll tell you all about them. They see things in black and white. We talked about that last week, that they have strong opinions on things. Like they're like, John Deere or it's junk. You know, it's, it's, it's only this, it's, it's, it, everything else doesn't matter. We talked about that. It's either got to be a Gucci purse or you might as well carry a grocery bag, right? Like there's, there's no in-between for them. Everything is black and white. They, um, they want to see God's purposes accomplished. They see sin really well because black and white, no, everything's, you know, everything's a sin. And they see it when, you know, other people don't. You know, it's like, you know, it's like stealing satellite signals really a sin. Come on, like the satellite company's putting it in my backyard. I'm just picking it up, you know? Like, is that really illegal? A perceiver would be all over your case. I'm not a perceiver today, so that was for free. Um, they're not always the most compassionate people either. They, they're, they're areas of weakness are that they're blunt and insensitive. They just tell you like they see it. That's it. That's how it is. Oh, but you don't understand. This is how I feel. I don't care how I feel. That's what it is. Blah, black and white. And you think, man, God, seriously, you put these people in the body? Why? Because they see things other people don't. They're there, and their purpose is to use what they see, but to find a way to communicate that to people in a way that they can handle it and understand it. And when they do that, it's amazing. Otherwise, they become legalistic. You know who's, a real, who's kind of a real great unregenerate perceiver? Somebody who has a gift of perceiver who uses it in the wrong way? Simon Cowell from American Idol. I mean, that guy, like, you, it makes great TV. It makes lousy church member, you know? So uh, I say he's saying aspiring to be like John the Baptist, where it's, where it's sharing, sharing the truth and saying, hey, I want to help you grow, where it's like, nope, out of here. Seriously, that uh, just doesn't work. But they, they just see it that way. And it's a gift. It's, a, it's an actual gift. One of the things about perceivers we didn't touch on last week is that they often isolate themselves. They're the guys who run off to the, the desert because, you know, no one understands them. So if you, feel like, if you feel like you're one of those people, there's a gift there. And I would challenge you, you know, with any of these gifts, to just study it up, to go and find out. We're going to give you some opportunities for resources at the, end of the, at the end of the study to say, hey, this is who I am and this is how I work. But that's one of them. And if you're like, well, that didn't mean anything to me. That's okay, because you're probably not a perceiver then. Majority of people aren't. They don't see it that way. It's a good thing. There's other ones. So we're going to try and cover a couple of those this morning. We'll see, see how far we get. The, the second one, it says, in ministry, do it in your ministering. So if your gift is ministry, well, do it in ministering. Well, he said, I thought everybody's a minister. You're right, they are. 
This word is better translated server. If you're a server, you got the gift of serving, do it, do it with, uh, do it well. Serve well. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is another place that talks about gifts, it calls it helps. Be the person who's helping out. They are an incredibly important part of the body. They're not always seen because they're oftentimes in the background, but they are an incredible, incredible part. And the way they see things, remember when we talked about rose-colored glasses, everybody's got like a color. They see the world in a certain way. These people, they see everything as a need that has to be met. They see something, a task that can be done. They see it before anyone else sees it. For instance, we just had communion and everybody has a communion cup. A server will see, wait, we need to collect those communion cups and we got to do it now. And grab a cup, a thing, and start walking through. And we just saw that. I had to stop him, right? He's at the back because he would, he would have took up the second offering of communion cups. It was, um, but a server just automatically sees it. Why? Because God wired them that way. And they use, you know, they use the resources that are available to meet needs quickly. It doesn't matter what it is. I'll grab a peanut butter container to collect it. I'm just going to collect it with something. I'll use my shirt, my hat, you know, whatever. They'll use whatever is around them to do it. Think, oh, what I want to give you is the characteristics. And just ask yourself, do you recognize yourself when we mention these things? Oh, yeah, that sounds like me. Or, oh, man, that sounds like someone I know. couple things. They often serve behind the scenes, and they support the ministries of others. They like being in the background. They like doing stuff like being in the sound booth because it's behind things. They look, they actually look for opportunities to help other people. They look for work. They show their loyalty through actions rather than through words. They're highly motivated to meet needs as quickly as possible. And they actually sense God's purpose being accomplished through hands-on tasks. You know, they, when they're building a play center out back, they realize, hey, doing the, building this play center is actually doing, you know, work for God. Other people are like, what? You just build a play center. But they see it differently. They enjoy doing routine, everyday tasks, like cleaning. They do things that would bore other people in church. You know, cleaning the church, that's just something a server loves to do. Other people, not so much. They, um, they don't be, like being praised in public. If I were to say, hey, all the servers stand up, we're going to clap for you right now, they'd be like, no, no, don't, don't, do, don't do that. Don't, don't point me out. Don't center me out. I don't want to... I don't want to be that person. But they love being praised in private. They love being thanked for what they're, what they're doing. They do have a need for that approval. They would rather do something than delegate it. You give them a job and say, hey, you know, I want you to shovel the whole parking lot with, a, with, uh, with these 10 shovels. They won't find nine other people. They'll go and they'll start and they'll do it until they're dead. You know, that's, uh, that's just the way they are. That, that's how they're wired. They're team players. They need to stay busy all the time. They don't mind working alone. They'll often use their own funds to get a job done quicker. They usually see ways to serve before anyone else does, and they work really good on short-term goals. They're not good for big-picture stuff. They don't see things that way. And they don't usually allow themselves to be served by anybody else. They're the ones who are going to serve. Sound like you? Somebody you know? Some of the weaknesses for them, though, is this. They tend to overcommit and have a really hard time saying no. They never say no. You ask them, yes, I'll do it. They're like, uh, you're camping all this week. Doesn't matter. I'll drive home. Four hours. I'm doing it. I'm in. They don't say no. Oh, she knows somebody. (laughs) They can be guilt-motivated instead of God-motivated. They feel like they have to do certain things. They can allow their value, their own personal value, to be on what they do rather than who they are. They sometimes feel like serving is not as important as other gifts. They become dependent on praise from men rather than from God. Um, You know, they're, they're, they're the ones who resent others who don't step up and serve. They're always looking around 
so-and-so doesn't do anything around here. I'm not going to point any fingers, but the guy in the front row doesn't do nothing. And he's just like, yeah, I see that. I'm a perceiver. I see that. You know? But they get annoyed by that. They want everybody to be, to be working. And see, that's why when you understand how they work and somebody gets kind of get, gets like that, you, you realize, hey, they're wired a different way than me. And I can love them because of that rather than get, you know, get upset. They sometimes compromise their own health because they can't say no. They work and work and work and work and work. They can sometimes be so busy serving they don't have time for actual relationship with God or with others. Sound like you? Some of the strengths you might see, some of the weaknesses. God put them in the body for a reason. Grant is a perfect example of a server. I would guess that he would score very highly in that if he took that test. Uh, Liz DeVries, anybody know her? Uh, my mother-in-law is one of those people who is just server all the way through. You know, and they're in the Bible too. Jesus was the, probably the best biblical example of a server. It says he, he, um, he didn't come to uh, be served, but it says he came to serve. So it talks about Mark chapter 10. And uh, there's other people. And I want, I want to turn to Luke chapter 10 because this, this woman is uh, a great, great example. Luke chapter 10 in verse 38 says this. This is uh, a... A woman who's got the, the gift or the motivation, the wiring of a servant. So as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Doesn't it sound like we just talked about you know, I'm doing everything. How come she's not helping set the table? And Jesus said uh, to her, My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all the details. There's one thing worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it and won't be taken away from her. Martha's one of these classic examples of somebody who's serving motivated. It's just their wiring. You know, she looks at Mary and goes, What, are you going to just sit there all day and just be with Jesus? You know, the, who's going to eat dinner? There's not going to be any dinner. It's got to be about the dinner. And they run off to the kitchen. That's where, say, where you see some of the weaknesses of it, but there's such a great strength in it when you see all of the things that are accomplished. All those eating dinner later on probably aren't thanking Martha for it, but she's wired for it. Same way for you. Maybe, maybe that's how you're wired, and God's put you in that place where you say it's going to be behind the scenes. Some of the other serv- servers in the Bible, there was two men named Aaron and Hur. They, uh, Moses was fighting, or well, Joshua, I guess, was fighting the battle. Moses was up on a hill with a staff and holding it up. And when he's holding it up, then the one team wins. And when the staff comes down, the other team wins. So these, he's getting tired. So these other guys come up and they say, hey, we're going to be right there with you, holding your arms up and uh, allowing, allowing these guys to win. Doing something that's sort of background and, and yet supporting someone else in what they're doing. It's a, it's a huge, huge thing. Jesus said to every one of us in John chapter 13, he says, if, if, if I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, which he said to the disciples, he says, and you uh, also should go out and wash one another's feet. You should also serve one another. So every one of us is called to do it, everyone. And yet servers, they just happen to see it first. They are the backbone of the body. Uh, their purpose is they're highly motivated to help people and increase the strength of other ministries around them. That's the purpose. That's why God puts you in the body, is to be able to see that and then do something with what you see. When you see it in others, let me give you a few thoughts on that. When you recognize it in other people, I'll tell you this. When a server says, hey, can I help you? Let them help you. You're doing them a favor. They will actually get more out of it by helping you than uh, you saying, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. 
Even if you're another server, let them help you when they offer. The other thing is don't abuse their wiring. This is so important. Don't abuse their wiring, especially if you're married to one. This is how you abuse their wiring. You, you ask manipulative sort of leading questions. Like, for instance, you want somebody to watch your kids on Monday, and you know there's a server in the church, like Liz DeVries, for instance. Uh, not, uh, it's just a personal experiment. Uh, so, you know, it's saying, uh, you, you know that she, she's uh, uh, somebody who could watch your kids, and she's also a, um, a server. So you ask her this question. Uh, so, hey, uh, are you busy on Monday? No. Oh, good. Could you watch my kids? A server will not be able to say no. They'll be just like, oh, rats. Yes, okay, no problem. Even if they said, even if they had wanted to just have nothing to do that day and, and relax or whatever, or uh, they, they won't say no. And a lot of times we, with that first question, you end up leading them into something that they don't want. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times we challenge people, and anybody you ask, it's a better way to say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm just, you know, I'm looking for somebody to watch my kids on Monday. I'm, you know, if, if you aren't available, no problem at all. If you don't want to, no problem at all. I can easily find somebody, but I thought of you first. Then they have a choice to say yes or to say no. And you'll realize, uh, you know, people start to avoid you if you're always asking those kind of questions. Just saying. Just saying. Thank them. At Kingsway, you say, well, how, you know, anybody have that gift? They're not going to put up their hands. I just can tell you right now. <laughs> not because they don't want you to, uh, not because they don't want to be like given work right now, but because they, uh, they just, just don't like being uh, centered out. But if you have that gift, you say, hey, that's something that, that yeah, I, I see that in me. And I'm wondering, how do, I, how do I use that at Kingsway? Let me give you a couple things you can look for. Missions. Missions would be a really great thing for you, for you to be a part of. Executive committee, the team of people that helps make sure that everything in this building is running. Our kids' church and our nursery, like, I don't know how to teach kids. You don't have to. You can just help a teacher down there. They would greatly appreciate that, even if you're 100. And, you know, you got one good arm, but you could hold a baby. You know what? I'd say go do it. Ushers, the people serving this stuff, you see that they're, they're the ones right away there. You can, you can be a part of that. The cafe back there, it would be a great spot for you. You would love it. You just would. I'm telling you right now, because it's how you're wired. And the cleaning team even. You're like, what? Cleaning? Yeah, I never thought of that. But you know, you would love it if you're a server. There's, we have cards, I think, in the back of these things to say, hey, because some people say, I want to be involved and I just don't know how. We want to help you find the how. This is the how. Figure, it out, figure out which one you are and then put it down. And so, you know, you'll be a blessing wherever you serve, but you'll also be blessed as a result of serving. So we know perceivers, we know servers. Let's do a, another one, teaching. It says, in your teaching, teach well. These people use sound, rational, instructive reasoning to convince people and help others to learn. They're not necessarily the, the, the equipper of teacher where that's what they do all the time. might not be their job. They might, you know, they might work, uh, you know, uh, garbage collecting, but they're actually gifted to teach. It's, um, it's a speaking gift. If you feel like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't talk to people, you're probably not, not going to have one of uh, uh, the teaching motivation. They see, this is the way they see the world. They see the need and blessing of instruction and knowledge to help people. They see the answer to everybody's problem. Well, they just need to know something. If they knew this, they wouldn't be in that, in that uh, spot. You know, like for instance, let's say a drunk person came in the back here and they had just soiled themselves and, you know, you can tell that they have had way too many and they walk in. A server will right away say, I'm going to get you some fresh clothes from somewhere and uh, wait, just wait a second. I'm going to give you a coffee, man. You need to sober up here. I'm going to give you a coffee. You know, it's all, it's all going to be good. I'm going to take care of you. A teacher would be like, 
here's a 12-step program. <laughs> you know, you start reading this, it's going to change your life. Don't worry about the clothes and the coffee. He's going to do it again if you don't give him the 12 steps. Because that's how a teacher would see it. So if you think to yourself, yeah, I wonder how I would see. What would I do? Recognize the characteristics of a teacher. They're usually, really, they're usually organized, disciplined, articulate, analytical, and enthusiastic. They are concerned about details and notice things that other people miss. They like to present things in a methodical, systematic way. Like the precept upon precept Bible studies that we have around here. That's teaching kind of oriented where it's like one thought after another. They love doing research and they love to study. They love to read. Not me. They desire to gain as much knowledge as possible and they love to share that knowledge. They want you to know what they know. They love and are good at debating topics. It's how they learn stuff. They're going to talk to you and like, so what do you think about that? Oh yeah, well have you thought about this? And, they're, and they'll get you like, oh, you know, I never thought about that. But that's how they, that's how they learn and they love it. They, um, they desire to help other believers think right about the word. They, you know, if you, they, they're the kind of people where someone says, you know, I asked Jesus into my heart. And they're like, no, you didn't. He sits at the right hand of the throne in heaven. It's actually the Holy Spirit who lives in your heart. Okay, then, you know. They're, 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 they're those kind of people, they mess with your Sunday school doctrines, you know. Oh, it's, it's more than that. They prefer teaching believers rather than going out and doing evangelism. They're, they're, they're better that. They, they devote themselves to seeking God and his word, and they get really bored with routine tasks. You ask a teacher to clean the church, they'll clean. It's like, oh, it looks good enough. Let's go read. You know, that's, that's, how that's how they're wired. Don't sign up for the cleaning team if you're a teaching-motivated person. Your wiring will, will ruin this place. Um, possible areas of weakness for a teacher. They can rely on human reasoning. They can rely on, oh, I know so much. And they don't really need God, uh, his anointing, or they'll teach without praying. Or, or they, they, can get, they can have these doctrines because they understand them so well that they put that above Jesus and the good of other people. They sometimes only study the word to teach other people. They don't actually study it to learn anything for themselves other than the head knowledge of it. They know all about stuff but not how to actually apply it to their life. They sometimes present material that's way too complicated and just they can't find a way to make it simple. They can become proud of their superior Bible knowledge. If you hung around with me, you would be impressed. Those people that would be like, yeah, it's a pleasure for you to meet me. You know, those kind of people. <laughs> they, it's a good, you know what though, it's a, it's, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't make them look bad because it's actually, it's, uh, they're actually really good and necessary. They get angry at people when they appear, you know, uninterested in what they're talking about. They, uh, they can become unteachable sometimes. Um, uh, and they become more concerned with, like, research and info and facts than people. Anybody see Patch Adams? You know, the Patch Adams with the doctor and saying, hey, you know, you spend seven years in school learning stuff and you forget that all this stuff is for people. Same thing with teaching, saying, hey, I, I, I got to be more like Patch Adams. I didn't know I'd learned that in church today. But, yeah, that's, you know, that's that teaching motivation. They can become critical of other teachers. Um, they can, sometimes they just get to be monotone in the way they do stuff because they're so used to just getting all the facts out there. God put them in the body, though. Why? Anybody got that kind of teaching? You say, hey, that just might be me. Oh, man, we got a whole lot of others here. All right, biblical examples. Holy Spirit, one of the greatest teachers ever. He says he'll lead you and guide you into all the truth. Luke, the, the guy who wrote the book of Luke and Acts, he was, he was a doctor, go figure. And uh, for him, too, his teaching's like, hey, I'm going to give you this all in an orderly fashion. Uh, you know, Theophilus, I'm writing you this letter so you know exactly how it all happened. That's how he starts his books. 
Then in Acts chapter 18, there's a few people there that I'll take a quick look at as well. Still tracking with me? Still, still here? Acts chapter 18. Thanks, Johnny. It's in there. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he only knew about John's baptism. So here's a guy who's a good speaker. He knows the word. He's teaching it. Then it says, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside, and they, they explained the way of God to him more accurately. This is what happens when a teacher meets other teachers. You know, they say, hey, you know what? pretty good, but here's how it can be a little bit better. And it's, it talks about how after that he went out to continue teaching and, and affecting the world around him. The purpose, if you're wired with teaching, doesn't mean you've got to be a teacher. Doesn't mean you've got to go get, have that as a profession. But in the body, in the family of Christ, it's to protect the body from false teachings. It's when you hear false teachings like, yeah, Mark, uh, we got to talk. You know, uh, when you were saying on Sunday, you know, we, we got we to have coffee. They give spiritual food to help the body grow and mature in Christ. They're concerned about that kind of stuff. And they're vital for discipleship. They really are. They help people grow in their, in their walk with God. If you recognize it in others, they've got the great potential for wisdom because of their knowledge. If you're in a spot in your life where you say, hey, you know what? I, I got to so, make a big decision and I don't know what God's wisdom is on it. That's why he says discern the body. Find out who the people are who are teachers. Go find the people who study the word like crazy and go say, hey, can we go for coffee? Because I got this thing that's, that's kind of bothering me. And the Bible just says that some of you, are, you know, you're weak or you're dying. There's things that are happening in your life, you know, weak spiritually, dying spiritually because you don't discern the, the, the body right. It says, realize there's teachers in your midst. Sometimes, sometimes you say, oh God, give me an answer to this. And it says he did give it to you. It's just in the other person beside you. It is. It's so often. We talked about that. How does God meet needs? Financial needs. It's not like you walk outside and you find, you know, a, you know $3,000 just you know, growing in the parking lot. It's like, dear Lord, I need $3,000. And he's like, I'm going to contact a giver. You know, someone giving motivated. Tom, you're giving motivated. Give me 3000 you know, go give Mark $3,000. God's speaking to you. You know, <laughs> you've reached Tom's answering machine. Yeah. Um, but that's what happens, right? And the same thing here. You need wisdom. He says, let him ask of God. He gives it liberally, but oftentimes he's given it through someone else. Ways to be involved, or Proverbs, I should say Proverbs 13, says he who walks with the wise becomes wise. Get around wise people, you become wise. Uh, Kingsway, say, hey, how do I use my, my teaching wiring? Lead one of our Connect courses. You'll love it. Just say, hey, I don't even know what they are, but I'd like to be involved. Just check off the box and we'll help you figure that out. Lead a Bible study, one of the precept studies. It'd be good for you. Tag team, preach with me sometime because uh, we, could, we could use some of that. Counseling, you're going to be great at that, that uh, kind of stuff. Kids ministry, youth ministry, finding ways to, to actually teach people. You'll be great at it. You'll be great at it. Oh, man. It's 11 o'clock. Can I give you one more? Because otherwise it's four next week. The teachers are all like, yeah, yeah, give me more. Give me more. I'll take it all in. We'll supersize your coffees after. We're going to go quick, okay, E.B.? We're going to go quick. Because this one's really cool. Well, I mean, they're all really cool, but this one's just kind of cool. It's exhortation. It's the exhorter, the encourager. 
the Bible says that person, it's like paraclesis. It's the one who comes alongside somebody to, uh, to comfort, to encourage, to admonish, to exhort, to strengthen people. It's not like a cheerleader on the sidelines. It's like, yay, go church, yeah. It's, it's a person who's like gets right in there with you. Uh, the Olympics are on. In 1992, like a long time ago, some of you weren't even born yet, there was a guy named Derek Redmond. He's running the 400 meters and he pulls a hamstring. He was, a, he was favored to win it. Pulls a hamstring halfway down and he's, he's falling and he gets up. He's like, I'm going to finish this race. Even though I've lost, I'm going to finish it. And his dad runs out. Maybe YouTube, it's amazing. His dad runs out of the stands and all the security guards are trying to stop him. He's like, no, I'm going to my son. And they're like, okay. And he runs out there and he puts his arm around his son and doesn't take him off the track. He helps him finish going all the way around that track. It's an amazing, amazing thing. But that's somebody who's, as you say, that they're wired to encourage them. A mercy-motivated person we'll talk about later would just go down there and sit right on the track with them and just cry with them. But, <laughs> and, and you need that. You need that. But an encourager's like, no, get up. We're going to do this. We're going to keep going. I don't care how broken you are. You can do it. And they start going along with them. And um, that is one of their characteristics. They see the positive in every situation. You know, they can find positive in, in, uh, in, in things that other people can just only see the negative. Their glass is always half full. Teaching, like we just looked at, stimulates the mind. But ex- exhortation people, they stimulate your will and your faith and cause you to believe um, they're really important for things like preaching, for prophecy and pastoring. The exhortation is a really important part of that. Recognize the char- characteristics. See if this sounds like you or someone you know. They're usually cheerful before they have coffee in the morning. My son Maddox, I think, really, he's going to be one of these kids. 6 a.m., he wakes up, ha, hey, well, let's go. And we're like, oh, kid, you don't understand. There's nothing good at 6 in the morning. And he is just thrilled to death to be alive. You know, he's like just super happy. Um, they're optimistic and positive in any situation. They help people become their best. That's what they do. They are usually people-oriented and action-oriented. Oh, let's not learn. Let's do. Let's go do something with it. They accept people the way they are. Huge thing of the exhorter. They accept people the way they are. They confront, challenge, exhort, and encourage those who've gotten off track. They help others overcome sin. They like to give practical advice. When you ask them for advice, it's going to be practical. They, um, they call God's people to higher levels of life with Christ. They help others change their behavior by applying the teaching of the Word. It's not just having it, it's actually using it. They encourage others with words. They probably won't do a whole lot for you because they'll be there to cheer you on to do it yourself. That is a big thing for the encourager. They're comfortable around people, and that's why they usually have extroverted personalities. If you like hanging around by yourself and big parties of one all the time, probably not an encourager. You could use one, though. Raise your hand. I'll, no. Uh, they bring new life to people who are burnt out, and they use Scripture for practical things. Their areas of weaknesses, they talk, talk, and talk. I'm an encourager. That's why I thank you for giving me the extra couple minutes, because we talk way too much. Hey, somebody roll back the clock. I love you people. You guys are great. That's a server. Thanks. They, um, they have a tendency, though, to oversimplify problems. You know, that you have this huge problem, and they'll give you three steps to fix it. It's like, oh, if, if you just did this, it would be fixed. And, and oftentimes, it just belittles people, because they're like, uh, most people don't see problems just that easy. They can sometimes be so or too optimistic or positive that they avoid being confrontational when needed. They accept everybody where they are, and they'll just, you know, they'll encourage them and be positive that they oftentimes don't deal with things that need to be. They can be easily offended because they care so much about what everybody's feeling 
that when people don't care about what they're feeling, oh, it's on. They don't take enough time to truly understand the situation or where people are really at. You sit down with them, you start telling them, you know, I got a problem. Oh, you're a child of the king. You're a son of God. You know, you, and they're like, oh, I didn't even get to tell you. It's just, you know, my cat ran away. Oh, well, you know what? If you get this kind of cat food, they'll come back. Feed them cheese. They'll never leave. You know, they, they like, well, actually, the neighbor stole the cat. Oh, well, you just need to have a better relationship with your neighbor. Like, they will always jump in and start giving you stuff before. So if you're with an encourager, just realize that and say, hey, just let me tell you the whole story. If you're hanging out with me, you need to do that sometimes. Just tell me. They can rely on personal charisma rather than the Holy Spirit. That's a big thing sometimes. Realize that it's, it's Holy Spirit that's the one who can make the difference in a person's life. And they can oftentimes spend way too much time with people who just want a temporary fix. They're so, they, they love to encourage people, and they'll, they'll give all kinds of time for that, but oftentimes that's where they end up being just burnt out with people that just want to be fixed for, you know, that day. And the next day they're back again. They can feel like they failed God when people don't follow their advice. If you're an encourager and you give someone advice and they don't do all three steps, don't worry too much. God will take care of it. Biblical examples, Barnabas. Barnabas was a great, they actually, his name was actually not Barnabas. It was Joseph. But his friends saw him. They called him the son of encouragement, which is Barnabas, and uh, that's what it actually means. Barnabas means son of encouragement because he's always encouraging people. So that's what they called them. You know when Paul got saved, the guy who wrote most of the Bible? Paul gets saved and he goes to church. He goes to the very first early church and they won't let him in. The guy who's going to write the New Testament, they're not even going to let him in the church because they're scared that he's going to kill them. So Barnabas, it says, goes and gets Saul back then and says, hey, you know what? I'll take you in there. Because what do they do? They come alongside and they bring him in. And we have most of the New Testament because of what Barnabas did. He also chose to hang out with guys like John Mark. And uh, when, when uh, Paul said, I have no use for that guy, Barnabas would say, hey, I'm going to help him out. I'm going get, to get there and work with them. Their purpose is to motivate others in the Bible to the highest level of being in Christ. Motivate people to live to the, be their best. They put courage into people to keep fighting the good fight. We feel like, man, I'm knocked out. Those encouragers are the ones who say, no, 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 wait. You don't know who you are. You can do this. If you recognize it in others, they're not going to be the ones, like we said, who are going to come down in the dumps and cry with you. If you want somebody who's going to cry with you, you know, talk to them for three hours on the phone and they'll be, they'll be right into it. Find a mercy-motivated person. Don't call an encourager. It'll be a five-minute phone call and they'll do all the talking. So, uh, but, but they're great. They're such a great part of the body. Recognizing it, in others, and at Kingsway, if you say, hey, that was me. Anybody encourager? Yeah, I knew that for sure. Um, you have that, that gift of encourager? Let me tell you some ways you can use that. Here, be the person at the door who opens the door, uh, and it's like it, just greeting people as they come in, because encouragers, you'll, you'll do great at that. People will love to see you first thing in the morning. Uh, praying with people, counseling, hospital visits, because they can see the positive. It was so strange when I went to this hospital to see Brody, this kid who was in the quad accident. I don't even know him. Uh, I've met him a couple of times, but I really never talked to him. And you go there and you sit there, and the whole family, all they hear is doctor's reports. And it was just my wife's like, why do you go there, and how do you do that? Because it just, she went with me. She's like, so awkward. I just want to get out of here. And, and I'm like, I'm sitting there for hours just telling them all the positive stories that I can remember of anything I've ever heard. And it's like, afterwards, it's just to encourage them. Just believe. Just believe. Well, the doctors say he might not even live. It's okay. They told me that about my brother when he was hit by a truck. And you start telling him, and he's fine. And you start going through that. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, wow, okay. They caused them to believe. Um, I could see that this kid was going to be okay from, what, from day one. Just believing that God could do things. Well, now they see it. 
You need encouragers in your life. Sorry, that's enough. Well, Celebrate Recovery. Great place if you're an encourager. Go, go be a part of that. Texting ministry. What? What? Wait a second, I'm in now. Wait, I'm, what's he talking about? Texting ministry. Encouragers, you're so great. We think about things like just building someone up. Send them a text. Say, hey, I'm praying for you today. But really do it. Really pray. But, you know, <laughs> send them and say, hey, you know, I just want to say I'm thinking about you. I want to say, hey, you know what? Uh, you're looking pretty good over there, even if you can't see him, you know, because they'll be like, oh, it just will bright. Or send a smiley face. You realize, you ever try just smiling at people? They smile back, you know. It's like the easiest way to encourage someone. So far, we've seen four of these different gifts. We here as a church want to encourage you to be zealous about figuring out who you are and what your place is. Because without you, we're nothing. That's it. I'm not going to talk anymore. Let's pray.